Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you. Zach, thanks for sharing that. You're number one in my book, though, bro. Amen. Amen. Lots of attention. What I, what I have found in life is, is that when, when God closes the doors because he has a, a better one, this is going to open for you. Amen. Amen. I, I, I know about that. You, you think, this is what I want. And it's like, man, I'm glad I didn't get that because I wouldn't have what I have now had I said yes to that. So God has the whole thing planned out. And I want to thank you guys so much for being here today. If you're brand new, thank you so much for, for trying it out. Um, I know you probably tasted it online first. Um, and that's a good thing, right? It's like, I don't like this guy, or I might like this guy. Or, man, he's way shorter in person than he was on online. Um, I've heard that a few times, and that's why we built the stage up a little higher. Um, so a little update on our building. We, again, are getting the plans finalized. Um, you know, we were supposed to start in April. Then we were supposed to start in July. Now we're going to start whenever the good Lord wants us to start. Uh, but we do have a new facility we're building out there, big worship center. So excited about that. Uh, Pastor Stevie and Kristen, uh, his uncle passed away. Uh, he had a biker preacher uncle who is now with Jesus, and so they're on their way back. Um, I, I wanted to joke with them as they're on their way back from Egypt, because they went back to Egypt, a.k.a. Southern California. Um, and, yeah, actually, probably northern, but it's southern to me, because I grew up in the very Oregon border, California side. So um, anyhow, but, I, but they were posting pictures of raising canes and like In-N-Out Burger, and I'm like, you're going back to the fruit of Egypt. Like, don't stay there. And so I want to get onto them for that. Uh, They're probably watching online. And then Pastor Chase is actually doing a memorial service. Um, Him and Hannah, he and Hannah are up in Alaska right now. So we're short staffed. (laughs) Got that. Uh, We're short staffed a little bit, but we will will prevail. But uh, thank you so much for being here. Again, our, our heart as a church is to be a hospital, not a courtroom. Amen. As a hospital, we get to tell you what it is because a doctor, an honest doctor is a good doctor. If, if you have cancer, a doctor has to tell you you have cancer. He can't say, well, no, you know, the rest of your body is healthy, but there's this one issue. So, so as a pastor, my heart is to be a hospital as a church, be to reach out to people, to love people, but we'll always be very honest with you uh, about the word of God. We will not get away from the word of God. It has not changed. We will preach it, but in a loving manner. But if you're here, um, I don't want you to ever feel like this is a courtroom that we're passing judgment on anybody, right? In, in a gavel type of way. But I will tell you to knock it off if you're in sin. I will tell you that. I'll, I'll give you a hug and then I'll kick you in the shin. Say stop. Uh, because God wants us to avoid it as best as possible. We're all going to blow it. Uh, but we're just a family that's trying to serve God together to make a difference in our community. And now I get to do some announcements. I hate announcements, and I'll tell you that. Uh, Pastor Stevie is way better at PR than I am. Um, so he, he actually wrote them out for me. Like, Pastor, this is what you're supposed to say. So I was supposed to dismiss the fifth and sixth grades, but they've already left. Um, thank you for waiting for my instructions. Um, <laughs> As a pastor, they don't listen anyway, so why would they listen? But if you're in fifth or sixth grade, uh, your teacher and the group has already went upstairs. So you go up the stairs, follow it all the way to the end, and you'll, you'll hear them making noise, uh, their classes. And then tithes and offerings, Pastor Stevie talks a lot more about it than I will. Uh, please tithe, please give. Is that good? Yeah. Thanks. God will bless you. Amen. He does a better job. And then next steps, which is used to be called the Newcomers Fellowship, uh, where if you're newer to the church, you know, three to six months and you haven't been to one of these, uh, we just have a dinner for you here. We have it here and we have all, all a bunch of new people here with name badges so you know who they are. Um, and it, what is your next step as, as a a new family member? Uh, what do we do next? And that's what that's about. Um, you meet all the staff. 
And then also, if you want to host a life group, uh, please sign up for that. Um, if you're interested in hosting one, let us know uh, what you'd like to do. And if you've been here long enough, we do have, you have to be here long enough. If you can't have started coming last week, and go, yeah, I wanted to start a life group. That would scare me a little bit, like, okay, why? Um, you know, <laughs> what was wrong with Pastor Sermon? That's the title of your life group. Um, no, we, we ask that you maybe attend one. If you're newer to the church, attend one first. We, we do three-month semesters. And then, uh, but let us know if uh, you're interested in doing this. So let's get into this. Uh, Joshua chapter 14. If you're newer and you haven't heard what we're going through, we're going through the book of Joshua. Um, and in a nutshell, the Israelites are now taking possession of the land of Canaan that God had promised them 40 years prior. Uh, when they were in Egypt, they were in captivity. Moses led them out of Egypt to the promised land. And when they got to the border, uh, they sent 12 spies in. And we'll go through that story a little bit today. Um, and what the spies saw, 10 of them were like, we can't do this. And two of them said, we can totally do this. And we're talking about one of them today, and his name is Caleb. In the book of Joshua. Uh, before I start, I want to tell you a little story. I've, I've told this before, uh, but it's worth telling again. There was a, a big shoe company that sent two shoe salesmen back in the 20s um, from Chicago. And they put them on the, on the train and they said, okay, every, every town, stop there, get off, take a look, see how we can start a new, a new shoe store. And so, um, so they, they got on the train, they made these stops and five cities into it. One of the shoe salesmen said, uh, nobody on this route wears shoes. Like nobody, there's nobody in the towns, these five towns that have shoes. So he said, I'm coming home. The other shoe salesman telegraphed back and he said, send me all the shoes we got. Nobody has them. Two different perspectives. Okay, nobody's wearing them, so I'm coming home. Nobody's wearing them, so I'm going to sell a bunch of shoes. See, you, in life, you either see a problem or you see potential. Sometimes both. But for there to be potential, there has to be a problem. And most of the promised land was conquered after a seven-year period of war. They went into the promised land, but they still had to fight for it. And the setting here is now Joshua is distributing this land. So they went in, they battled everybody, and now they get to, to get their land um, that they've conquered. And they're doing it by casting lots. In other words, they're kind of I don't use the word gambling, but they're kind of drawing straws, right? So a tribe comes in and you can't okay, pick a straw. All right, you got this straw. This is the land that you get. Well, there's a man named Caleb from the tribe of Judah uh, who hasn't been mentioned much in the last 14 chapters, but his, the focus today is basically about his allotment and, and what he, he's going to get, but what he says he deserves, and it's in a good way because God had made him a promise, so the focus is about not giving up on what God has promised you, no matter how long it takes. Because what I have found is we are not a very patient people. With God's promises, we, we want it to happen instantly. All right, we, we have this mentality because it's been bred into us that things should happen fast. That's not how it works in the kingdom of God. We'll kind of see what man Caleb really is. Um, he's been fighting to help others with their inheritance take over this land like he promised that he would, and now it's time to get his own. I'm not sure who said this originally, but I love the quote. When you help someone else get up the mountain, you can't help but get a little higher yourself. And our, our job as Christians is to help people get up the mountain called Christianity. Okay, called life, like getting help, helping people through that. That's why life groups are so important. It helps you get through some things. So Joshua chapter 14, I'm going to read four verses here. And then we're going to go back 45 years to really grasp what he's talking about. So they're getting out land, and it starts out with this. Now the men of Judah, which was the largest tribe, approached Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, 
You know, again, he's talking to his buddy Joshua. You know what the Lord said to the Moses, the man of God. He's reminding him, you, you know what God said about this. The man of God at Kadesh Barney about you and me. You know what, what God said to Moses about you and me. I was 40 years old. When Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. This is where we're going to go in just a few moments. Okay, 45 years prior, go explore the land, see what it's like. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. He is reminding Joshua, he's like, you're doing straws. I'm not going to get my land by straws. I already know where my land is. I walked it 45 years ago, and now I'm ready to inherit. I'm not going to settle with picking a little straw, seeing which little piece of section of land I get to leave. And I know what my promise was, and I'm coming here to cash in on that. Like, if you have a lottery ticket worth $5 million, but it also had a $5 scratch, you wouldn't go, hey, here, I won five bucks. I don't know how that works. I don't buy lottery tickets, but I'm just making it up here. You, you, you would go, no, this is worth millions, not the $5 win, right? You wouldn't focus on that. If they tried to give you five bucks, you would fight it. You would be like, no, I know what's promised me. I know what's owed me. So then Joshua, okay, again, he's, he's, he's listening to Caleb. Caleb goes back, okay, 45 years to talk about a, a story in Numbers chapter 13, it's two chapters long, 13 and 14. I'm not reading the, both chapters, but I would encourage you to read the whole story in entirety. I'm going to read the important parts um, relating to our story today. So they came to Canaan, the promised land on the borders, when Moses led them out of Egypt. And Moses said to them, he, he got 12 guys from each tribe. I'm sorry, one person from each tribe, 12 total. And he said, go explore the land of Canaan. Go up through the Negev and the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people there uh, are strong or weak, whether they're few or they're many, whether the land, I'm sorry, what kind of land do they live in? Is it good? Is it bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or are they fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile or is it poor? (laughs) This is like 20 questions, all right? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. To make this relatable, how many of y'all moved from a different state and you explored Idaho first? Like you came up and you looked around going, okay, I'm going to make sure. How many of y'all just willy-nilly, you just decided to move here? Well, that's about, about balanced, okay? You're not disappointed, are you? <laughs> Is there trees? <laughs> Only in Boise, right? And just outside of Boise, the city of trees. Uh, to me, it's a desert. I had a good friend ask me this week, hey, how's, your, how's things in your neck of the woods? And I was sarcastic back. I said, how's things in my neck of the desert? Because that's kind of where I live, right? It's just the reality. But Moses is going, okay, we, God has given us this land, but we still got to do our part. Oh, we want to explore it, see what it's like. So he gets 12 men and he sends them in. And, and this is what they did. They went in, in verse 22, says, They went up to the Negev and they came to Hebron, where Ahiman, Shishai, and Talmai, if you're looking for names for your children, the Old Testament is a great place to get them. The descendants of Anak lived. Anak, if you've been in our Wednesday night Bible study, we go verse by verse. We go through the book of Genesis. Uh, so it's a little different on Wednesdays than, than Sundays. Uh, Anak were giants, like where Goliath came from. He was a descendant of these guys. So they go through this land, and there's giants there. It was the Nephilim that we talked about in the book of Genesis. They were really, really huge, up to 13 feet. Definitely, a, I'm a relative of, of Anakins. Okay. Yeah. My frame. 
<laughs> I just, we'll just keep going. Um, Hebron had been built seven years. They're giving you just some factual information here. Uh, when they reached the valley of Eshcol, they cut off a branch, get this, bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them. This is not American grapes. This is not this little thing with, with a pole. All right, these, something is gigantic about these things. They're probably the size of grapefruits. I mean, there's a land of giants, so the fruit is huge. And they, one cluster, they hang on this pole, and guys are packing it back to show Moses. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some of the pomegranates and figs. And that place was called the Valley of Eshcol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. Again, Joshua and Caleb are as part of this group. Then they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh Barnea, or Kadesh in the desert of Paran. And there they reported to them and to the whole assembly, and they showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is some of its fruit, but, and any time you but God, you're being a billy goat, not a sheep. Sheep follow billy goat's butt. Okay, I don't want to be a goat. I don't want to be the goat because there's always a negative connotation when God separates the sheep from the goats. It's from the believers and the non-believers. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, there's fruit there and it's great. But the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. And we even just saw, just saw the descendants of Anak there. We saw giants. And the Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. There's giants everywhere. And the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb, okay, at 40 years old, he silenced the people. He's like, shut up. Shut up, all right? He says, we should go up and take possession of it now so we can totally do this. I had a little bit of that. But that's what he's saying. We, we can certainly do it. Absolutely, we can absolutely take this land. But the men who had gone up with him, the other 10, said, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they explored. It's amazing how fast you can give negative news out. How fast negative news spreads and infects people and this is what they said. The land we explore devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. We saw the giants there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We, we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we look the same to them. Do you see what they're doing? They're comparing the giants with themselves, not with the size of their God. All that night, chapter 14, the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. They were defeated before the fight. You ever get to that point where you, you, you're weeping before the fight even happens because you're playing around in your mind as to what the negative side of things, this is how it's going to go. It's going to be bad. And this is going to take place. And you, you fight, fight this terrible battle and you haven't even got into battle yet. Like you're defeated before the battle. And that's where they're going. They're spreading this report like we can't do this. And then they grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And then the whole assembly said, if we just died in Egypt... Or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us in the land only to let us fall by the sword? There's a whole negative thing going on. Our wives and our children will be taking us plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Now they had forgotten how bad Egypt was. They're only out of Egypt, I don't know, maybe a week. And they forgot about the slavery. They forgot about the Egyptian king taking their firstborn sons and killing them. Matter of fact, any sons at one point, that's why Moses was saved. That's what the, they forgot about how bad Egypt is. Isn't it amazing how the devil can make you forget 
how bad your last weekend was that you just backslid and partied it up? <laughs> like your past, like, oh, it wasn't so bad. No, no, it's bad. And they, now they're like, we should just choose a leader and go back. God doesn't want you to go back. Then Moses entered and fell face down in front of the whole assembly. And Joshua, son of Caleb, I'm sorry, Joshua, son of Nun and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, they tore their clothes. They're like ripping their clothes because that was a sign of just distress. And they said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, big if, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and, we, and he will give it to us. He'll give it, guys, we can do this. He says, their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them to death. Isn't it amazing that when you stand up for what's right, when you stand up for what God wants you to stand up for, you will have enemies? You will get Facebook stones thrown at you. You will get comments made about you and your walk with God and where you stand on things and where you stand for the morality of our country. When you stand against the whole, you know, let your child choose their gender thing. No, God chose your child's gender, guys. Okay, you're male or female. That's a, it's a biblical concept. Okay, they might be confused in that. We need to have grace, but we need to guide them through the confusion. Okay, they also want to eat cake for dinner every night, but you can't say, well, if you want cake, have cake. No, we have to be the parent and say, no, this is who God made you to be. This is God who made you to be. And one day you're going to be a man of God. One day you're going to be a woman of God. You're going to be a great mom. You're going to be a great dad. We, we give grace through the confusion, but we have to guide through the confusion. We can't be letting kids make the choice, right? You're a parent, okay? We need to, to stand up for what's right, but we have to do it in a loving manner. There's a certain way that, that God made us, and I will go to my grave believing the word of God, because I'm going to believe this over what the world says. Care for what the world pushes on us. How long, God says, God answers this, and this is, this is pretty scary. God says, how long will they refuse to believe in me? Despite all the miraculous signs I have performed them. And God's like, like I'm sick of this. And they're like, no, Lord, don't, don't, don't destroy him. We're going to make it through. Well, let's go back into and talk about what we just read. Again, Caleb goes back 45 years and brings up the promise and the problem. The promise was I get all the land that I walked around. The problem was that somebody else's faith hindered me from getting that promise. But sometimes you have to go back in order to go forward. You have to go back to your first love. You have to go back to your, maybe your walk with God, back to the, the, the marriage. If you have a marriage, just to go back to, why did we fall in love to begin with? To go back to those things. Why? Because when you first fall in love, you see all the positive things, and then you get married, you begin to see the negative things. That, that's just natural, okay? We have to learn how to, to navigate those things. You need to remind yourself of God's promises, that he is who he says he is, and he will do what he said he would do. See, God's word, I spend every day in God's word, is a reminder of his faithfulness to me. That's why it's so important for me to read it, that God has made me a promise, and he's going to keep his promise, that he will be there. He's involved in your life more than you know. So when you don't hear his voice, read his word. Because when you read his word, you will hear his voice. Okay, It's a letter. It can't get caught up in, what did he mean by that? What was his tone? (laughs) That's why you can't read tone in text messages. That's why text messages are so dangerous. Right? Bro, you have all your caps on. Oh, I'm sorry. Because <laughs> you read it and you go, oh, they must be mad. It's all caps. And then you, you ever done that? And then you're wondering, and then you read it and you're like, I'm not sure what, I'm not sure how to take this. That's why texting is so dangerous for communication. At other times, 
you can be in denial and say, you didn't tell me that and be like, uh-huh, oh, yeah, I did. It's right here. It's, it's, it's in writing. <laughs> like you altered that, didn't you? Because you didn't say that way. Go back and read it. Well, the word of God is, is not altered and it can't be altered. I mean, people can try to, but you can't alter the word of God. It says what it says and it means what it means. So here's the other part is you also have to understand that your doubt can keep you from obtaining what God has promised. That's what we learned from the 10 spies that spread the doubt is it kept everybody from going into the promised land. Even though God promised them, their doubt kept them from getting it. Okay. So 12 guys went in and they all saw the same things. They saw abundance. They saw huge fruit and they saw giants. And it is amazing how 12 guys can see the same thing, but have a completely different perspective, completely different. Okay, I've learned this, um, many of you know, I'd volunteer with the sheriff's office in Ada County for about 12 years. And what I learned is that you can go to a scene and have a different a bunch of people telling you what they saw and it can be totally different. Like they all see it from a different perspective and you're like, that's not what happened. And the news sees it from nobody's perspective. It's, that's, I learned that. I went on to calls and watched the news. It was on the news and I'm like, that did not happen. You know, they're, they're making it as big as it was. And, um, you know, so I, that's where I've learned the news just gives you their slant. But these 12 guys have different perspectives. So that leads me to tell you it's what you choose to focus on that makes a difference. Okay, if you have a rough marriage and rough relationships, what are you focused on? Are you focused on what isn't? Are you focused on what you don't like about the person? Or are you focused on what you do like and you have to put up with what you don't like? What we do when we're dating is we focus on what we like. Okay, it's like buying a used car or a new car. Actually, say used car because we're all used. <laughs> There's very few marriages that are two brand new cars that don't have any baggage. Um, some of y'all have a trailer. <laughs> it's like got a lot of baggage, right? But you learn how to unload the trailer and leave it unhitched. So you buy a used car, you tend to see what you look for. Like you look for, and you don't see them. And then you get the car home and you're like, whoa, check engine lights on. <laughs> it's like I was so enamored by the body, I didn't see the check engine light. Um, and it was flashing. All right, we look at how straight the body is, or maybe, the, and, and after you own a used car, you begin to notice little dents that you didn't notice before, maybe a chip in the windshield. Like, how, why didn't I see that? Because you weren't looking for it. You weren't looking for it. You were so enamored by getting something new that you, you just, I don't see the negative. So, well, we're like that with relationships. Like, we get so enamored by it that we don't see that there is going to be some baggage that we got to deal with. Here's the good news Jesus will help you deal with the baggage because we all have it. Right? Just think, think about our bags. When we come to Jesus, <laughs> he's watching. It's like a, you know Atlas freight truck, one after one after one. Like, whoa. Some of y'all just drive the little two, you know, the two-seater U-Haul. <laughs> you don't have much baggage because you didn't send a whole lot. But, but God doesn't look at it as, oh, he's got a little baggage or he's got a lot of baggage. He looks at us as we all have baggage. Amen. And Jesus forgives us of the baggage. And we need to be the same. We need to work on that to see people, how God sees them, not how we see them. And that's what the story is about. It's what, it's looking through the lens that God looks through. If God is bigger than the giants, okay, God is bigger than that. What you focus on, that's what makes the difference. So, so fast forwarding back into today's story, 45 years later, I love what he said. I brought back a report according to my convictions, according to what I saw and what I believed he didn't deny there were giants. He didn't say, well, there's no giants in the land. What he said was, there's giants, but it's just a speed bump to us. And here's what I've discovered is that the 10 spies who went like, their giants are bigger than we are. You're correct. That is a true statement. But they looked at it as the giants were bigger than us. And, and Caleb and Joshua chose to say, but the giants are way small compared to my God. 
My God, they, they were comparing the giants to God and it was no match. Whereas the 10 were comparing the giants to them and they would get destroyed if they didn't go into the battle serving God. So perspective is an amazing thing. You will either see the, through the eyes of faith or through the eyes of fear. And the fact is you have a choice. You will look at whatever situation you're facing at now and you'll have some fear because fear is natural. That's like a default thing. But I have to choose to see through the eyes of faith that God is bigger than what I'm facing. That God has my best interest in mind. God really does want to bless me when I'm serving him. But you have a choice. Unfortunately, fear is the default setting in our lives. So Caleb and Joshua lived on a different level than the 10. And that's my encouragement to you at this part of our study is live on a different level. Maybe write that down. So live on, I need to live on a different level. Live on a different level than everybody else. Live on a different level than the world is living. I need to challenge myself. Instead of being frustrated that nobody else is living on the level that I want, how about me living on the level that I need to be and quit worrying about everybody else? Amen. The problem is we oftentimes are more worried about where other people are living than our own selves. All right? We can do this. We can totally do this. And the crazy part, again, is the Israelites had already experienced God's hand moving on their behalf over and over and over again. They saw the Red Sea part. They saw the Egyptian army killed. They saw the manna from heaven, the quail fly in. They saw a lot of miracles, water coming from a rock. They saw the miracles, and yet right now they're doubting that God can deliver on what he promised. And in Numbers 14, 11, again, God shows his frustration with them. How, how, how can they not believe that I can get them through this? And I wonder, is there times in my life, does God feel the same thing about me that I just fall into doubt and wonder, and God's like, Stan, I've, I've got you through so much, so many times. Why are you doubting now? And I hope as I get older and as I grow in my walk with God, I begin to just give things to God, to say, God, your timing is perfect. Okay, building project, it was supposed to be a lot up right now, and there ain't nothing out there, which is okay because softball season's still going and there's plenty of parking. Parking's gonna be an issue when, that, when they start building. But I have learned to say, okay, God, this is our fifth or sixth building project. I can't remember now since we've been here. My wife and I have been here 24 years. And we've gone through a lot of building projects. And, and here's what I know is that God's got this. It's going to happen when it happens. And, and we're going to find out. I believe we're going to look back and go, oh, the price of lumber came down or the price of steel. The price of some things came down. And that's why it happened the way it happened. I, I learned to just let God be God. We do what we do. We, we do our job. We get the plans. We do all that. And we let God take care of the timing. I know this. I can frustrate God with my lack of faith. I can frustrate God with my lack of faith. Why do we tend to forget what God has done for us? There's a man named Roger Bannister. Anybody heard who Roger Bannister is? A few of you. Brandon, can you throw me my water, please? The smoke is... I'm sorry. I've been smoking all week. Thank you. <laughs> A little gravelly. Nice throw, by the way. I knew you'd get it to me. And Roger Bannister uh, was the first human to run a mile in under four minutes. Before he ran the mile in under four minutes, the scientists, the experts, said it was humanly impossible to run a four-minute mile. Can't do it. And they spread that out. Can't do it. And when you don't think you can do something, you're not likely to do it. But Roger Bannister was like Caleb in our story. Roger Bannister was like, I can totally do it. And I'm going to prove you wrong. So Roger Bannister began to train and he began to run and he began to believe that he can do it. And he broke the four minute barrier. Well, guess what happened after that? 
Okay, those of us in who don't like to run have no idea. Um, but if you like to run, then you probably know. People started running sub four minute miles very often. Like often, like, okay, now it's not a big deal. Unless you're those of us who don't like to run, all right? My older brother loves to run. He still runs a lot. I just, I just let him run. You have to let some people work in their strengths. So my older brother runs a lot. And he can outrun anybody pretty much at his age. I have to take a shot at him. He's older than me. But he can smoke me in a race. All right? I grew up, he smoked me in just about everything. But that's a different story. Um, So Roger Bannister did something, what people consider was impossible. And what he did was he inspired others mentally to realize that's possible. And when you live a life to show that something that people say is impossible is possible, you will inspire other people to begin to do the things that you've done. And that's what God has asked us to do as Christians. That it is possible to have a great marriage. It is possible to live a holy life. It is possible to get over addictions. It is possible to win the battles that we face on a daily basis. It is possible to struggle less and less. And I have a a pastor I like to listen to. He said, the older I get, the less I sin, but the more I repent. Because I want to do right. I want to live right. I want to serve Jesus. And when I fail, it hurts a little more when I'm trying to live what's right. How many times in our lives have we missed out on what God has for us because we let fear overrule our faith? We can rob ourselves of his blessing by choosing fear over faith. And Caleb and Joshua were absolutely affected for 45 years because of the crowd's choice. Do you know that you, as a human, can be affected by the crowd's choice? By which way the crowd goes? The crowd isn't always right. Be careful when you follow the crowd. You need to know where the crowd's going to end up. Okay, this crowd here ended up in the desert for 40 years. And now 45 years later, Caleb's bringing up the past. I think he's been like in his mind, he's been like, I've been stewing about this for 45 years, man. He goes, I I am not, I've been dreaming about this moment. The moment that God promised me, that Moses promised me, that I got that land that I walked around and I ain't gonna settle for some stinking, let's draw straws and see what land you get. He's like, no, I'm here to get my stuff. I'm here, you know, like I fought and I battled and I helped other people get their land and I'm not gonna go just pick a straw to see what land. He says, I walked it and I'm gonna cash in on my promise. He wasn't arrogant, but he was very confident. And the difference between arrogance and confident, an arrogant person is really good at what they do, but they think they're better than everybody else and they let them know about it. A confident person knows they can do a great job, but they're quiet about it. They let their actions speak for themselves. God wants us to be confident, but he does not want us to be arrogant. But Caleb here, he's confident. He's like, "Uh, uh, 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 uh-uh-uh-uh, not drawing no straws here. I know my plot. I walked around it for 40 days. I know where my land is at, and I'm not going to be drawing no stinking straw. Okay? God promised me I'm going to cash in on this promise. And he reminds Joshua, because that's what he said. Remember what the Lord said to us, Joshua? Remember what God said to us 40 years ago? Joshua, you and I, we saw potential when the crowd saw problems. We were ready to take the land. So my statement to you here is learned to see potential when the crowd sees problems. Learn to see potential there. The promise that got put on hold for 40 years or so. We held on to the promise, and 40 years is a long time to hold on to a promise. Five years, seven years of battle. Right now, we'll learn that he's 85 years old, but I will tell you this, promises always require patience. So here's the thing. The other people, the other Israelites that followed the 10 that said we can't do this, they settled for wandering in the desert. 
And I wonder today, what are you settling for? Have you settled in any areas where you were promised more, but you were willing to settle for less? If you're looking for a spouse, let me rephrase that. If you're unmarried and you're looking for a spouse, let's be clear here. I would encourage you, don't settle. Don't settle for somebody that you have to build up spiritually. Ladies, especially if it's you. If you have, if you have to, to, to bring a man along spiritually, he's going to follow just for a little while until the wedding ring gets on. Then he's going to go back to his old donkey self. Yeehaw, right? Okay. I'm just making some people squirm, like either online or here. Like, what? We, we shouldn't have to pull the other person spiritually. You don't want to marry spiritual immaturity. You just don't. Trust me. I have 30 years of doing this job. I know where that leads. Okay? It's just going to lead to frustration to you. So you don't want to look for a spouse who you have to just spiritually bring along. Okay? Because here's what I know, because I had two, and I have two good-looking daughters. I've seen lots of boys come to this church. Bringing their Bibles, they're raising their hands. Now, I do last week, you were in a, you know, some other place. I would say a bar, but they weren't old enough. Um, maybe they were. I watched it. I watched how spiritual a man can be to get a good looking girl. Okay, and I love my, my sons in laws. I love them. And, and, and they weren't those two that really did that. But I saw what happened, right? They're just for the wrong reasons. Okay, because we can put on a show. Guys, if you're looking for a woman and you're single, just because she's cute doesn't mean she's functional. I'll drink to that. Be like me, man. I married cute and functional. <laughs> I waited. wasn't even looking. And my wife's an amazing, amazing person. Um, she makes me way, way better than I am. And I appreciate her very, very much. God's given her good creativity and she's just an amazing human. All right. I saw potential. Okay. I saw potential in her. And I'm glad that she said yes. I got the ring to prove it. Y'all looking at me like, what? Okay. He said we had our, our 20th anniversary a couple of weeks back. And it just gets better. Marriage gets better. It just does. Why well, you just keep putting work into it. Okay. Don't ever forget that love that you had. Because it just gets deeper. Those of you who have been married a long time and you like each other still, you know it's like it just gets deeper. Okay. There's a deeper love. Um, we do get a little less tolerant with each other. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you how it is right now because when you get old you get cranky right you just it's like no filter it's worse when you have a microphone and everything gets recorded <laughs> you said that no I didn't yeah it's online okay yes I guess I did these guys are like we held on to the promise 40 years guys 40 years they held on to the promise that's a long time that's a long time 45 years before they actually got to take it but again promises always require patience Others settled for wandering in the desert. So I want you to ask them that question for yourself. Am I settling somewhere where I need to not? And let me tell you this next statement. I probably should have made a slide out of this, but just listen to me. Somehow Joshua and Caleb didn't seem to let bitterness over someone else's decision get a hold of their heart and ruin their faith. I'll say it again. Joshua and Caleb didn't seem to let bitterness over someone else's decision get a hold of their heart and ruin their faith. And I know in our church family today, there are some of you who are suffering the results of somebody else's decision. 
somebody that you trusted, somebody that you maybe poured your life into and they, they did you dirty. <laughs> they, they, they stabbed you in the back and not just once, but maybe over and over again. And I would encourage you that our natural tendency is to hold it against them. But what I have found is that when we hold bitterness, bitterness actually holds us. Amen. And it poisons us. It contaminates us. You can acknowledge the fact, yeah, they did me dirty. But didn't Jesus get done dirty too? They nailed him to the cross. Sometimes I try to compare myself or my own situation. At least I'm not getting nailed physically to a cross. At least I'm not getting the snot beat out of me with whips and, you know, the things that they did to Jesus, that, that he, the torture he went through because he didn't do anything wrong. And yet they beat him and they hung him and they killed him. So my situations aren't near what Jesus did. And yet Jesus said what? Father, forgive them. They, they don't know what they're doing. Now, we sarcastically can say, you don't know what you're doing. You ever said that? There's sometimes it's not a good thing to say, especially to your spouse. <laughs> Even if it's true, you just don't say it. I might be talking to you from past experience. Right? It's like, just keep your mouth shut. All right? But I want to tell you, because Caleb and Joshua were humans and they were in the desert for 40 years, and we covered this several months ago, I think, when we started the series, but I want to talk to you a little bit about some humanness. I believe that at night, even though someone else's decision affected them, I think at night they had campfires. I think at night when they had the campfires around their little tent, I believe that the generation that is now poised to take Canaan or is taking Canaan, it was the children of the Israelites who wandered in the desert for 40 years because God said, because of your lack of faith, you're all going to die in the desert. Like, well, 40 years, the whole generation is going to pass away. Your kids will take it. And here's what I believe. I believe that Joshua and Caleb around their little fires at night, I think kids from all around came to them. The kids of the families who didn't believe that they could do it. I think the kids had this intrigued, like, what was it like? Like, you went into Canaan. What were the giants like? How big were they? You said there was, there was grape this big? And I can imagine these little kids just being enamored by the stories of Joshua and Caleb saying, yeah, the land is great, but your stinking parents, <laughs> their lack of faith. I would be there if it wasn't for your dad. I don't think they said like that, but maybe, <laughs> maybe. But somehow this new generation that raised up, they were ready and poised and willing to take the land that God promised their parents. So something got instilled in them. They got sick of the desert because they heard of what could be. I think they heard the stories of Joshua and Caleb saying, no, that, man, yeah, there were giants, but we could totally take them out because every five-year-old in their brain can take out a giant, right? I mean, they, they have in their mind that I could totally do this. I, I, I think of Scrappy-Doo. I, I just resonate with him. If you're old enough to remember who Scrappy-Doo is and not, go to YouTube, you'll figure it out. Uh, you know, Scooby-Doo was kind of scared. He was big, but he was kind of scared to think Scrappy-Doo was his little cousin, <laughs> little tiny guy that could take, his whole thing was, let me at him. Let me at him. Like, let me get him. And I, I resonate with that. I resonate because it doesn't matter what size of a human that you are. The faith comes from the heart. Amen. That I can get this. I can take this. Why? Because my God is bigger than what I'm facing. Amen. Let me at him. I think that's what God wants. I think that's what Caleb is here. God's going, look at Caleb, man. He's like, scrappy dude. He just he wants to fight. He just wants to go. He, he, he's ready to go take this land. And he's reminding Joshua, man, we held on to this promise. We held on to it of what could have been, of what should have been, but what isn't because there were some people that spread a bad report about it. But the fears of others have the ability to affect us all. I've said this before, but it's worth saying again. You might want to take a picture of this. What affects you doesn't have to infect you. 
It can affect you, but it doesn't have to get inside of you. And that's the picture that I see here with Joshua and Caleb is it affected them. The 10 spies affected them. They, they didn't go to the promised land for 40 years. They then had to wander, even though they could have went in. Um, you know, at that point, they had to wander because the crowd said it's too scary. But they didn't let it infected. They held on to this promise. And 45 years later, he's like, I'm ready to go. So let's just keep reading. It says, now then, Caleb's still talking to Joshua. Just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today. I'm 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out and to battle as I was with him. And his wife's probably going, "Uh uh-huh. Like he's 85 and he's still acting like he's 40. It's just... Always chasing me around the tent, you know, I I can imagine, because we got to be human here, right? And he's just got this, I'm vigorous, I'm ready to go fight. And I don't know if he has this little cane, I don't know what he's doing, but I have a feeling that Caleb probably kept himself in shape and he's carrying a sword. If he had a cane, it was probably a sword because he's like, let me at him, let me at him, I'm going to get him. And now he says in verse 12, now give me this hill country. I, I don't want the desert I don't want flat land. I don't want the thing we've been walking around in for 40 years. I want mountains. And some of you are thinking, Lord of the Rings. Mountains, Frodo. Mountains, right? He wants to see the mountains. Caleb's like, I want the mountains. I want the land that I walked around. I want the land that I walked around. Go, man, someday I'm going to get this. This is mine. And he marked his territory all around, however big it was. He said, I want the mountains. I don't want some, draw some stupid little straw like everybody else. I know what I was promised and I'm here to cash in on this. I'm here to cash in on this. I love this. Now give me the hill country that the Lord promised me on that day. Again, he's reminding Joshua of the promises of God. Isn't there times in our lives, guys, when we have lack of faith that we need to remember the promises of God, that he is going to get us through what we're facing? He will. You just have to hold on to his hand and you have to believe that. Let's bring this home. There's four F's that Caleb had to deal with. Now, if you're familiar with military, a four F means that you failed. You can't go into the military because four F means that you're done physically incapable. These aren't necessarily the four F's of failure. There's two positives and two negatives here we're going to look at. Four things that Caleb had to deal with, fear, frustration, faith in his future. He had to deal with the fear, only it was the fear in others wasn't his own fear. He had to deal with the fear that other people had and their fears affected him. Now we all will have to deal with it. The question is, is how are you going to deal with it? Are you going to let them spiral you down or are you going to let the fears of others propel you to something greater? What would God want you to do? God would want it to propel you to something greater. Okay. Frustration. Anybody frustrated right now? You just, <laughs> Wow. Maybe y'all should be preaching, not me. Um, all right, five of you. All right. By the end of the day, you'll be frustrated about something. I promise. Something will happen. I'll keep you here till one o'clock if I have to prove that I'm right. <laughs> Lock the doors, guys. All right. You'll be definitely frustrated if I keep preaching longer than I should. Amen. It's a weak amen, but that's all right. Frustration. It's really hard to have to deal with the effects of someone else's decision. Why didn't God, I have this question, why didn't God let Caleb and Joshua go in, but the others not? And the answer that I felt in my heart was a team was needed to win this war. Okay? Because one person can't affect the team. One person's bad decision can affect the whole team. It's a teamwork thing, not an individual thing. And that's what Christianity really is. Faith, 
He dealt with faith. He never lost faith in who God was. He didn't let the other's lack of faith steal the promise that God gave. God's word is full of promises, and that's why you need to read it repeatedly to remind yourself that God is faithful. And he had the future. Okay, what they didn't, or sorry, when they didn't get to enter the promised land after the spy mission 45 years ago, he knew someday he would get to take possession of what was promised. I doubt if he expected to wait 45 years, but he did. I, I wouldn't want, you know, God to tell me, okay, okay I'm going to give you a promise, but it's going to take 40 years. Like you might be 40 right now and you're just wanting to get married and God's like, I'm going to bless you with a bride. You're like, yes, but you're going to meet her in the rest home 40 years from now. Is she rich? <laughs> That'd be the question. Does she have money? Right, we could travel. She's in rest home. She probably can't travel. W- would you wait 40 years? Or we'd be like, yeah, I think I'm going to take this up on my own because I'm 40. Because when I'm 80, I don't know if I can function. Right? You'd have, you would go through this humanness. We would tend to push it. But God's promises have to come pl- to pass when God's promises are supposed to come pass. Otherwise, we create a mess out of it. I doubt if he expected to wait 45 years, but he did. But he did. The last challenge to us today is to be ready for what's coming. Like I said, Pastor Chase is doing a memorial. Pastor Stevie's uncle passed away. There was another funeral of a good friend of mine this last week. Guys, I don't want to sugarcoat things, but every single one of us are destined to die. We will take our last breath on this earth. We have to think about that. We have to live in in a manner to go, you know, because our world is all about preventing death, right? We're not preventing death. We're just prolonging the event because we all the Bible says we will all die and as a pastor I've done more funerals than I can count in 30 years of ministry I understand one thing that the death is guaranteed that every one of us will take our last breath my question here is is who wants to go to heaven it's not the same result. half y'all don't um, this is going to be a great altar call today <laughs> great <laughs> I got the sheep that are like, yeah, I got the goats going, ain't raising my hand. Because uh, you told me to, that's why. Uh, right. So if you didn't raise your hand, you're a candidate for the altar call. Amen. Praise God, we're going to have 58 million people saved today. Right. I think we all want to go to heaven. That's right. I mean, we all want to go, right? It's like, yeah, heaven's great. And then and what if you found out today was your day? You'd be like, okay, how? Like, yeah, I want to go to heaven, but how am I going to get there? Is it going to be long agonized? What, what, what is it? I'd rather just go rapture, like boom, gone. Okay. And again, I'm trying to be sensitive here, but I'm also going to be real to say that we will take our last breath. In order for me to take my first breath in heaven, I have to take my last breath on earth. And that means that this body is going to die. Okay. We don't die, but the body dies. How I liken it is a helium balloon. Okay. You have a helium balloon. You can see the helium only because there's a balloon around it. And, and how I look at death is the, the helium balloon gets popped, but the helium is still there. You can't see it, but it still exists. My grandma, who was in heaven, uh, before she passed away the last time, seriously, she, she died before because she told me about it. She had a stroke. She died. She's a godly woman. She says, yep, I was above my trailer house because she lived in a trailer hood. Trailer hood, you ever heard of trailer hood? It was a gated community, and she had this trailer, and she says, yep, I died. She was talking to me like grandma would talk to you, like, yeah, I killed a chicken today and cooked it because she grew up on a ranch and all that. And she's like, yeah, I died, and then I was floating above my trailer, and I saw my neighbor walking across the street, and she knocked on the door, and then she came in the door, and I was laying on my bed and on my back. Um, she's describing this to me. And then the, she came in, and then she called the ambulance, and the ambulance came, and then they revived me, and I was back. 
She was just like, yeah, it was just another day in the park. I died, came back, peaceful, okay? Well, when she passed, before she passed the last time, because she died once, um, she, she, I have this video of her with my phone, and she's just like, I'm going to heaven. She's singing this song in her bed. I'm going to go to heaven. I want to see Jesus. Just, she, she's like, I'm ready to go because I know where I'm going. Been there before. It's peaceful. It's no problems. Peaceful, no problems. See, here's what I know. That the moment that you enter in to heaven, you are never going to want to come back to this. You're never going to want to come back to this. Now today, if you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, okay, the Bible says that you will die in hell for your sins. It says that. And that's why repentance is so important. That's why giving our life to Jesus is so important. That's why it says today is the day of salvation. Like, don't put it off. Don't say, well, tomorrow I'll give my life to Christ. I, you know, I want to party it up for a while. And then I want... No, that, that is not the right thing. Because when you sow wild oats, you reap wild oats. People like, I just want to sow my wild oats. You know what that's going to happen later in the future? Like, it's going to grow bad things. Can't plant goat heads and get corn. All right? I talk about goat heads every week because I deal with them every week in my property. Just, I, yeah, I pick so many and they grow when you're not looking. You just turn around. There they are. They're terrible. So are you right with Jesus? Are you right with Jesus? Because today I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a moment to give your life to him. And you can reject it or you can accept it. Okay, I am not here to push religion on any matter of fact. Religion will kill you. That's why you need a relationship with Jesus, not religion. Religion is a bad thing, okay? Relationship is what we're after. But you have to give your life to Christ. You have to repent of your sins in order to be right with God. And if you've never done that, right now you're thinking like, whoa, what? okay, well, hold on a second. You should be scared. If you are not right with Jesus, you should be scared to die. Because death is it. You cannot choose. At the moment you die is the moment of your choice. You have to give your life to Jesus Christ to go to heaven because hell is the default. And that's just what the word of God says, and I take that very serious. But with your current situation, I need you to understand something. Know there's a future that gives you hope to get through today. God has a good plan for your life. He does. Are you obeying him? See, in the end, we win. Heaven awaits those who are waiting for it. So my encouragement here is keep serving Jesus. Stay the course. When you fail, when you sin, when you blow it, get forgiven, get back up and keep going. Because you're going to have battle scars, right? We're going to make bad decisions. We're going to sin. We're going to give in to temptation. We know that we're humans. The important thing is, is that we keep fighting. Okay, whatever it is that fights you, keep fighting it. So deal with fears, hold on to faith, and focus on the future. And that's where Caleb was at in his life. He's like, man, I've held on for 45 years now, and now I'm going to get what was promised to me. And he was excited about it. He's like, I'm going to go let me at him. He's like, I'm going to go fight the giants. Because he goes on to say, yeah, the giants are there, but the Lord's going to help me drive them out. He still had this faith that God was bigger than the giants. And God is bigger than it is whatever you're facing. So don't give up. Don't be like the 10 spies. Don't compare the size of your problem okay, to yourself. Compare the size of your problem to the size of your God. And he's a lot bigger than your problem, amen? amen. Also, the crowd isn't always right. Okay? Seems like it more often than not, but the crowd is wrong. More often than not, the crowd typically is wrong because they just go off emotion, go off the wrong way. Next week, we're going to talk about, uh, it's the final challenge in this book, is Joshua's final challenge to the Israelites and Man, he's, he's, he's pretty rough. He's like, you just do what you want. But me and my house, we're going to serve God. He's like, you do what you want. I live how you are, but we're going to serve God. That's, that's where he stood. Like, I'm going to serve the Lord. And that's what I want to be. I want to be a Joshua. I want to be a Caleb. Not perfect men. 
but men who were willing to follow the dream, willing to follow the promise that God gave them, willing to put up with a bunch of whiners who weren't, you know, they're like, 40 years we've listened to you, and now we're going to go and take our possession, all right? We're in this whole thing together. Keep fighting. Keep your faith up. God's going to get you through it. Amen? Now, if you bow your heads with me, let's deal with business. All right? Many of you, most of you, have given your lives to Jesus Christ. You're fine. Okay? Your your eternity is secure. You've given your life to him. Now it's just a daily battle. Like Scott said, now we're just dealing with today. Okay? We're dealing with the battles of today. Eternity is taken care of, but let's battle today. But I'm not talking to you necessarily. I just talk to you. In the message, what I want to talk to is those who maybe have never given their life to Jesus. Like you have never repented of your sin. You've never asked God into your life. And if that's a decision you want to make today, today is the day, the Bible says, of salvation. You have a choice to make. You have to choose heaven. You have to choose to say, I'm a sinner that needs a savior. And you might say, well, pastor, I I have done so much. You know, God knows everything you did. And he still loves you. He still wants you on his team. He's still chosen you. He still picks you. It's, it's in your court now. You just have to decide to ask him for forgiveness and come home. That's all he wants. He wants you to come home. So if that's you today, I'm going to ask you to just be bold and brave. Nobody else is looking around, but just me and you and the Lord. If you just lift your hand up momentarily where I can see it. Okay, I see it. And you can put it down. Okay, I see that one. Anybody else? Here's the good news. God loves you so much. God's proud of you. He's proud of you for raising your hand saying, I need you, Jesus. I need, I need you to forgive me. That's what he wants to do. And as a church family, we pray it together. It's just how we do it. So church family, let's pray for, with those who raise their hands. And I'm going to speak a prayer and just repeat after me. And if you mean it, Jesus will forgive your sins. Amen. Let's pray it together. Dear Jesus, I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You just got your ticket to heaven. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. I'm proud of each and every one of you who raised your hand. I I did that at 13 years old. I grew up in the church. I knew Jesus. I think I was saved. But I had this preacher preach on hell, and it scared it out of me. Like, I... I was like a summer camp running to the dirty altar. I'm like, ah, you know, I just wanted to know that I know that I knew that I was going to heaven when I died. And I've made some messes since then. (laughs) I've sinned a lot. I've failed. But I know that I'm secure because I accepted Jesus as my Savior. So if you need a Bible, if you raise your hand, you need a Bible or a New Believer's Handbook. Um, Our information booth's open. You can just ask them, hey, do you have a Bible? There's a New Believer's Handbook that you'll get on. Okay, I just accepted Jesus. What do I do now? That kind of just tells you this is what you do as a Christian. And so I'm proud of you all. Again, thank you for being here. Keep fighting, all right? Keep battling. And you must be better than the first service because I actually preached less time the second time than the first time. So it's because you are better. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Love you all. Have a great afternoon. We'll see you soon. As, hey, Wednesday nights. Show up Wednesday night. If you don't come on Wednesdays, Wednesday is a full service, and it's, it's amazing. Uh, love Wednesday night church. So 7 o'clock to about 8.05, depending on who's preaching.